Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode... We are in the crisis of the century. And I'm not ruling out any, anything for now, because we have to make sure that Europeans are vaccinated as soon as possible. Human lives, civil liberties, and also the prosperity of our economy are dependent on that. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen speaking ahead of this week's summit to discuss possible controls on vaccine exports as the bloc struggles with the third wave of the virus and criticism over its handling of the vaccine rollout. The vaccination programme has been hindered by a slower authorization process, delayed deliveries and suspensions over fears of possible side effects. Meanwhile, infections are surging, with France, Germany, Italy and Poland recently forced to tighten or extend lockdown measures to contain the spread. Short-term economic damage is inevitable, but what about the long-term impact? I'm Rebecca Byrne, and for more on this, I'm joined by ING's Global Head of Macro, Karsten Brzezewski. Carsten, we've seen tighter restrictions kick in across Europe over the past week. ING's base case has been for a reopening of the economy in the second quarter. Are you worried about that now, given the path of the virus and the pace of vaccination? Do we need to lower our expectations for Q2? Well, I'm, I'm definitely worried, but I I haven't given up on the good hopes, to be honest. And how come? Because obviously we're, we're all tired by extended lockdowns and, and this never-ending story. But when you look at the number of ordered vaccines, it all looks as if we will see an exponential growth now of supply of the vaccine going into the EU. So this is positive. And I think this the supply bottleneck that we had in the first quarter, this should clearly be solved already with April. So therefore, we get, we're going to get this exponential growth. But you know, I'm living in a country, Germany, which is currently having a hard time to actually get this vaccine into an, an arm. So they're you know, ordering and getting the supply is one thing, but really rolling it out apparently is another thing. Um, but when you look at our scenario, we stick to this view. Obviously, not first quarter slightly weaker than expected, uh, given the extended lockdowns. Start to the second quarter will also be somewhat weaker, but then we will see the reopening. It won't be a full reopening, but it will be a gradual reopening. And I think I'm still still positive when I look at all these numbers about purchase vaccines. By the summer, we should have something like 50-60% of the European population vaccinated. And this should really be another big step for the Eurozone economy. But confidence in the vaccine has arguably been damaged in Europe. I mean, you're talking about the supply bottlenecks, but what about the the take-up of the vaccine? In France, the the AstraZeneca vaccine is still not even approved for under 55. So there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy there. Is there a risk this could prolong the crisis in Europe generally? It definitely is, Rebecca. AstraZeneca is clearly currently having a reputation issue. And um, I think even before there was a bit of a hesitation amongst the Europeans. But listen, we just have to look at, at Israel. We just have to look at the UK. We just have to look at the US. Um, and we see that a successful vaccination campaign leads to a reopening of the economy. Because I think this is really, this is a pretty convincing argument for every single European. So I hope 
and this is also, you know, this is part of our scenario that all this skepticism vis a vis the different uh, suppliers or different vaccines will disappear. And um, we don't need every European to be vaccinated. If we have 50, 60%, this would already lead to quite a significant opening of the economy. Right. In a recent note, you said that the crisis in Germany has exposed structural issues. There were reports recently that German privacy laws have forced vaccine officials to guess people's ages from how old-fashioned their names are, and also reports of some German doctors having to throw away vaccines. How big a problem is this lack of flexibility and what looks like quite poor digital infrastructure in Germany? Can it make the structural changes that it needs? It makes me cry, Rebecca. Don't get <laughs> oh. me started. <laughs> it, it really, because the thing is, you know, look, look back at 2020. Had we done a podcast back then, you know, we would have been cheering the German crisis management. It was swift. It was prompt. The lockdown measures worked. The fiscal stimulus worked. So it was actually it was all good. And now in the second or third wave of the of the virus and the lockdowns, it is a big mess. And uh, you just mentioned the lack of digitalization in the in the German media, the fax machine has become the symbol of what is going wrong in this crisis management, because at least up to a couple of weeks ago, it was also that, uh, you know, the doctors had to send over faxes. There is a virus tracing app, which is not really functioning well. The entire rolling out of, of the vaccine is not functioning properly. So all of this leads to a loss of confidence in, in politics or in politicians in Germany. And this is obviously n not good because you, you need this political leadership. And we had this strong political leadership last year. Now it's getting extremely chaotic. And um, we are still extremely good in, pr in producing cars. And uh, we have extremely smart people in the country. But there is an enormous lack of digitalization in, in this country. And it shows in, in this in the virus thing it shows also at, at schools now it's hard to do a homeschooling data privacy w was always kind of overarching any digitalization efforts in in germany and even when you look back and i'm getting this is too too long because you don't you don't have to get me started on germany <laughs> in this coalition started in, in to early 2018 and the coalition agreement was first of all saying we want to um, re-strengthen europe and it had a huge chapter on digitalization the need for digitalization but what was the the red line in this chapter on digitalization it was all about data privacy it was about regulation you know, you, you need much more flexibility to understand. And I think this lack of flexibility is what currently has made Germany from one of the, I think, best kids in this corona crisis fighting class to one of the weakest kids. Well, I want to ask you just another question about Germany, um, but slightly different. The German health minister, Jens Spahn, has said he would be in favor of signing a national supply deal with Russia for its Sputnik V vaccine. If the European Union doesn't do something, this go it alone attitude stands in really stark contrast to the unity we saw last year when the bloc came together to create the European Recovery Fund. Is there a danger that this crisis causes lasting damage to the EU? This is a very good question. I'm also thinking about it. I can't give you an answer. Let's look back to last year. You, you mentioned the European Recovery Fund, you know, a fantastic act of European solidarity. On top of that, the origin 
<clears throat> of this current vaccination chaos also goes back to European solidarity because it was under under the German EU presidency that the Germans actually pushed the other larger member states to go for a European solution and not for every single country to go on its own when ordering the um, the, the vaccine. And, and I think it still made sense because you don't want to create some inequality or, or some preferences between the countries. So now you see uh, this complete um, wind of change. And um, it could mean that this gives the idea Europe is not working. We have to go for, for national solutions again. In all honesty, criticism about Europe has always been there and will continue to be there. And currently, sure, the European Commission, Europe doesn't really look good <laughs> when it comes to the vaccinations but it's you know just to fast forward and think of where we stand next year and another year Mar march 2022 by then all europeans have have been vaccinated economy is growing again strongly do we then really still think of the mess and therefore go for national reflexes or will we forget i tend to think that europeans will also forget very quickly yeah but in the Eurozone, the pre-crisis GDP level is still not expected to be reached until the end of 2022. That's about a year later than in the US. Is this because of the slower vaccine rollout? Why is it lagging behind so much? It is one, really, the, um, the, the lagging rollout, like you said. So there, I guess, when we look at the numbers now, Europe or the Eurozone will be lagging behind at least by one quarter, but not by one year. And the other factor is huge divergence across the Eurozone. When I take out or pick out the, um, let's say, the, the stronger European countries, like Germany or the Netherlands, they will probably have reached pre-crisis GDP levels end of 2021, early 2022. This is pretty similar to the U.S., so this might be you know, lagging by one quarter. So this is pretty similar. The fact is that the southern European economies, strongly depending on tourism, they will continue to suffer. Just look at the numbers. So they didn't have a summer vacation or touristic season last year. No winter, no spring, probably another pretty ruined um, summer season this time around. So for them, to make up for these losses um, will take really un until late 2023. So therefore, I think, you know, the Eurozone as a whole will lag behind the US by around one year due to the um, high level of divergence right. within the Eurozone. Okay. Another risk to the Eurozone's economy is the recent rise in bond yields. Now, the ECB front-loaded its bond purchases to try to address this, but will that be enough in your view? I think it will. I think you know a, a bit of the the excitement of financial markets seems to have disappeared now. It was a bit of you know, the, the story of the last one or two month financial markets waking up to the reality that inflation is not dead, um, that inflation rates can accelerate. It was also on on the back of the huge fiscal stimulus in, in the US, and, and you've talked about it with with James Knight already extensively. So. Um, 
the potential risk of an overheating of the U.S. economy. Well, I guess we would be extremely glad if we could see any headline about the Eurozone at risk of overheating. So this is a headline we will not see <laughs> for a long while. So therefore, this threat of a sustainable inflation increase other than on the back of higher energy prices, a bit of a reopening uh, inflation after the lockdowns and the German VAT reversal looks extremely unlikely. Which also means that when you look at the bond yields, we had a bit of a shift upwards. ECB has made clear that first of all, it stands ready to tackle any what they would call unwarranted tightening of financing conditions. So this includes higher bond yields. And Christine Lagarde also made clear that the ECB will be looking through any short-term or temporary surge in inflation. And I think financial market participants have understood that. So therefore, for the time being, it pretty much looks as if this increase in bond yields is over. Now, let's, let's talk again after the summer, because I think then we could have a different situation. Once we've reached herd immunity, once doubts about whether or when Europe can get out of the lockdowns have disappeared, it's a different story, because then we might hear more voices at the ECB calling for at least a very gradual end of the QE purchases as scheduled for March 2022. And once we get this kind of discussion about how can the ECB enter a very gradual, a, a very smooth exit, then I think it would be normal also to see, again, somewhat higher bond yields. Okay, um, Carson, I look forward to our next chat when things are hopefully looking a little bit better. Carson we Brzezeski. have the shot in the arm, yes. <laughs> Carson Brzezeski, ING's Global Head of Macro. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rebecca. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal or tax advice or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.